WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Things are just peachy here yeah. in Athens, Georgia tonight in the WOG studios. We are down to one mic, <laughs> <laughs> and the phones aren't working. I love so, working for a college radio station. Oh, man, it's so great. Volunteering for a college radio that's station. Right, that's that right, that's right. See, you know, I, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Ivan Stang was all like, oh, you guys should be proud that you've got uh, all this money, blah, 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 coming in from the state. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. We get half of the microphones that we should, or whatever. Anyway, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. hey, but Raymond. We have fun, right? Yeah, yeah, of okay. course. Yeah, that's the point, man. Yeah, and we, we have a fun show for you guys tonight. Um, first of all, we'd like to give a shout-out to everybody listening out on the Omnisound Radio One Network, um, everybody listening on WOG 90.5 FM here in Athens, Georgia, and uh, let's see, our affiliate in Robin Valley, mm-hmm. uh, Nebraska. Yeah. So, yeah, so... If you're listening out there and, you know, maybe you've only been listening for the last couple of weeks, you've heard a bunch of interviews kind of coming out on our show. Well, this week it's just me and Joe in the booth. Oh, yeah. And we're, so... We're live. That's right. Live it, from our secret lair on the fifth floor of Morning Hall in Athens, Georgia. That's right. That's right. Get ready for that one because <laughs> it's a cliche. So, anyway, um, we actually have a couple... But, hey, Raymond, it's my cliche, man, so back off. Hey, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm watching out. I'm watching out. So, yeah, well, actually, I can't back off tonight because we're on one mic. Yeah, so. I feel like Raymond and I are a lot closer than we normally are, or normally should be. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I didn't use any deodorant today, yeah, actually. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> In, anyway, <laughs> so we got a bunch of stuff to talk about on the show today. Oh, we man. got uh, zombie cockroaches and uh, In, yeah. mad scientists atf and ninjas atf fighting ninjas i mean it, it's it's we got a bunch of stuff this usually is, we just do one topic no not know? tonight not tonight to- is like sort of our ADD episode. Right, right. Our, our getting to know you Omnisound audience network. So if you want to give us a call in the studio, uh, the number is 1-800-960-2289. Uh, feel free to call us anytime during the episode. The phones aren't working here in the newsroom, but our producer, Stephen, who's hot, by the way, he's, he's very cool. He's very nice, very nice. And uh, all the ladies should give him a call if, uh, if you don't want to talk to us anyway. So right, right. 706-5428-476 is the local number here in Athens. So he might actually give you his number back if, uh, if you call local. Anyway, yeah. I don't think he's in for the long distance kind of thing, <laughs> though. But anyway, so... Yeah, so give us a call or uh, go check out our website, www.wuog.org slash out there, yep. capital O, capital T. For some reason, it's case sensitive. We have to fix that. Yeah, if you're in Internet Explorer, anyway. So. You know, in Firefox, I get the same. Oh, really? actually, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Well, there are forums on the site. We announce upcoming shows on the forums, and there's a bunch of different discussion going on. You yeah. can also get in. You can also download previous episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you know, check out a little bit more about us and kind of the stuff we're interested in. Speaking of the podcast, so over the, if you've been listening to our show for the past two weeks, we had um, an, uh, two part interview with Dick Revis about the Waco tragedy from February 1993 and 
uh, Waco, Texas. Very, very interesting interview. Long interview and very interesting. Those will be up on the podcast very soon, so keep your eyes open, right. or ears open. As it were yeah, check that. check those out. They'll be up in the next couple of days. So I always get the uh, the instant messages from for the podcast listeners. Where's the next podcast? Where's the next podcast? I'm like, God, we... It's not like we're getting paid for this. It's not like we're not college <laughs> well, students. Well, you or should anything. tell them to listen live. That's right. Because That's you right. know, they, to all you live listeners out there, those podcast people are missing out on a lot of stuff by lis- by not listening to the live show. That's right. That's right. Like, like you have the opportunity to call us and talk to us, for instance. Right. And you get to hear every time we say "uh" and "um" <laughs> during the episode, whereas they, you know, get the only get the edited version. Right. So anyway, but if you want to send us an instant message, our screen name on uh, AOL is out there radio. You can also um, chat with us in the Omnisound Radio One dot net chat rooms, which uh, yeah, I got about ten ten or so people in there right now. And hi everyone. Hello, hello. So anyway, let's move on. Do oh, we have any more announcements, Joe? I think we've covered everything. Oh, we got upcoming shows that we need to announce. Yeah, yeah. We got Nicholas Goodrich Clark, famed occult scholar from England, going to come on and talk about uh, the occult roots of Nazism and uh, the Western esoteric tradition and all of these departments that are popping up in universities all over the mm-hmm. country and England that's, that are specifically focused on the study of the Western esoteric or Western occult tradition. We're so, also going to be talking to, coming up, uh, Daniel Pinchbeck, uh, author of a book called Breaking Open the Head, about his experiences with um, mind-altering substances and shamanism and stuff in South America and Africa. Yeah, so if you liked our Robert Forty interview... Oh, he actually also, he has a book coming out at like May 1st or something about uh, 2012. So if you're interested in that, it's going to be a really interesting show because we're going to try and talk to him about both of those books. Yep, and we got Peter Carroll coming up. Um, you may be familiar with his work on Chaos Magic. He's also doing... His stuff's on like physics now. Well, He's yeah, right. like sort of a three-dimensional theory of time. But anyway, you can Google him and check his stuff out if you want to kind of do some uh, reading ahead of time to kind of get ready for <laughs> right. it. So you'll kind of know what's going on in the interview. So... One more time, the number, 1-800-960-2289. Give us a call. Stephen will relay a message into the booth for us. Sorry we can't actually get you on the air tonight. It's another one of those technical things about the WOG studios. Right, I love yeah. this place, Raymond. I really do. Right. It's, I love it. it. It has sort of a lo-fi charm to it. Any, <laughs> anyway, right. let's move on to what some of the main stuff that we're going to talk me, about Man, let me tonight. talk about these zombie roaches, man. Yeah, I mean, th- I think this, this may be the most interesting thing tonight. Well, I mean, Tesla is very interesting, but zombie cockroaches. Check this out, man. I I came across this article originally because one of my professors emailed it around. You know, I I study artificial intelligence and we do like evolutionary methods for that kind of stuff, whatever. And um, one of my professors emailed this article around that related to these this wasp, and what it does is that it um it well it eats roaches, but this is the the cool thing about it is how it like traps them. It lands on the roach's back and injects its stinger into the roach's brain and has some sort of special chemical that it's localized so it goes straight for the part of the roach's brain that it uh, disables the roach's escape mechanism (laughs) so the roach is fully like conscious as far as a roach can be you know like it's awake but it can't escape it has no will to escape. It, you know, doesn't want to escape. Basically, the roach, tur- the roach is turned into a zombie by this wasp, right? But that's not even like the cool part, because what happens after that is the wasp rides on the roach's back and steers it using the roach's antenna straight into the wasp's lair, 
where it lays its eggs inside the roach and after some time the larvae hatch and eat the roach and stuff like that. But the whole time the roach doesn't try to escape. Like it's totally like a mind control roach. Right. Yeah. So, but that, I mean, that's, and I, I read that and thought that was just the most interesting thing I'd ever heard. Basically. You know? I yeah. mean, I mean, that's something that, you know, uh, you know, whatever, uh, our like U S intelligence apparatus probably can't even do, but a wasp can do it to a roach. Well, yeah, I was about to there's say. There's more to this story because a few weeks later, and I don't know if this was, if this it was inspired by this whole zombie roach study or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, there's like, if you want the technical details of the the article's online. The name of the um, wasp is Ampulex compressa. That's the genus and species of it. And so I, I imagine if you just... And we'll probably put... I'll, I'll post this on our forums later on, the, the article that I read. But what's more interesting is that um, I was reading Harper's like a week ago. And in their little reading section of the newest issue, um, there's this solicitation from DARPA. And if you're not familiar with DARPA, that's the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. And they they have like a $2 billion, $2 billion with a B, $2 billion a year budget. And basically they uh, fund projects for the military. But wacky stuff, man. I mean, like anything that's just, you know, you would think is impossible or it's going to be another, you know, 50 to 100 years before we have that technology yeah. yeah, they were responsible for like a lot of the Star Wars like well, weapon the, systems, like in their theoretical stages, right? Yeah, and and some like smaller sciencey stuff that no one's ever heard of, like the internet, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to this. This is from a solicitation by DARPA. Keep in mind the whole zombie roach aspect of this, because I'm just going to read this straight from their solicitation, as reprinted in Harper's. But DARPA seeks innovative proposals to develop insect cyborgs possibly enabled by intimately integrating microsystems within insects during early stages of their metamorphosis. The final demonstration goal is the delivery of an insect within 5 meters of a target located 100 meters away using electronic remote control and or global positioning system. The insect must remain stationary either indefinitely or until otherwise instructed and be able to transmit data from relevant sensors yielding information about the local environment. These sensors can include gas sensors, microphones, video, etc. Although flying insects are of great interest, hopping and swimming insects could also meet final demonstration goals. So they want to make, like, little insect cyborgs with sensors on them that they can, well, I imagine, I mean, you know, in, in the current paradigm, they can remote control their little insect into a terrorist lair and then have it spy on the terrorists like a literal bug, you know? Right. So I, I thought that was just a really interesting piece of news. I don't know. What's, I mean, what kind of world do we live in, Raymond? Well, I, you know, it, it really shouldn't be su- too surprising when you think about... I mean, you know, I mean, there are all sorts of things on kind of the plate for the kind of distant future with the U.S. military. Have you heard about them talking about these, like, uh, giant dirigible kind of blimps that are supposed to be, like, the size of, like, aircraft carriers are supposed to sit way up in the upper atmosphere and can, like, launch fighter jets and stuff like that. They've, like, I mean, they've done all sorts of research about developing things like that, too. I mean, they, I mean, of, I guess of all the people, they're the ones thinking maybe the farthest ahead, and they've got the money to oh, it, yeah. and they don't have to, like... You know, we're going to talk about Tesla here later in the episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he always had to worry about finding money and being able to sell his inventions. And that was that was long before DARPA because you know that they were, I mean, when, when the, you know, the military was interested in Tesla's right. inventions. So, but the military yeah. may have learned the lesson that they didn't learn with Tesla and has finally just like, okay, we're just going to give you 
giant amounts of grant money. Mm -hmm. Go research whatever kind of new weapon systems that you can dream up. Yeah, basically, like DARPA isn't even really implementing this. Like they give out solicitations, and mostly, you know, universities respond and say, "Well, you know, we have a research group working on insect cyborgs." So, hey, you know, here's our proposal. We think we can, you know, have something to deliver. I mean, if Raymond, if you don't think that we're living in a science fiction novel, look again, man. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, that's going to be the whole episode, basically, tonight. Yeah, it's just, that, that know, sets it up really good because, I mean, we'll find out. We've got a little bit before we talk about Nikola Tesla, but he was, I mean, 100 years before his time. Yes, you know? absolutely. Or 100 years ahead of his time. That's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whatever, whatever. So... Yeah, keep those zombie cockroaches and DARPA in mind later on when we talk about Tesla and the Heart Project and some other stuff like and that. Death and death rays. <laughs> yeah, and the death rays. Let's not forget about the death rays. So, okay. Raymond, one thing. Okay. So, I know you're going to talk about this. I just want to, like, get you to talk about it. Because, like, I know that listeners out there, maybe except for that folks here in beautiful Athens, Georgia... Um, we had this incident a few weeks ago on campus with the ATF, and if and it was inter- it was ironically like the same day that we we aired the first part of our um, of our Waco show, which we talked about the ATF the whole show. Right. So it's a really funny story, Raymond. T- tell tell us about it. Yeah, let me go on and and kind of get into this story. So. You know, I was up here in the studio two Wednesdays ago. It was actually the first time we had run the re- we ran the rerun because we run um, the they run a rerun of the show on Wednesday nights at six. If you're listening just on WOG or if you're just here in Athens, and so I get this call from uh, <laughs> I get this call from one of my friends who's actually I got a call from Austin who's the guest on our Golden Dawn show. If you if you want to check that out on the podcast. But I get a call from Austin as I'm going down the stairs. He's like, Raymond, I've been listening to the show. You need to go look at the paper. So I go downstairs and I look at the school paper, the red and black, uh, you know, and the cover article is, or the cover, like the front page headline is, ATF rids campus of ninja threat. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. my immediate reaction is to laugh and be like, what in the heck is going on? So I, you know, I read this article, and apparently the ATF just kind of, well, okay. Let me start off by saying the ATF was on campus last week doing some kind of training of local law enforcement officers as to how to like do a house-to-house sweep for weapons. Well, first of all, I don't ever want to imagine the day in this country where local law enforcement ever has to do a house-to-house sweep of weapons in any neighborhood ever. And so, first of all, that's kind of shaky that we're already training our local law enforcement to enforce martial law in this country. But what's even scarier is that, um, (laughs) well, the Wesleyans, the local Methodist on-campus group, was having a a costume party that day in one of the buildings on campus. It was a Pirates vs. Ninjas costume party. So uh, this guy, I think his name is Jeremiah Ransom, he goes to leave the party and he's dressed in his ninja outfit, and he's got you know a little a mask over his face, and he's jogging back to his dorm. Well, one of these ATF agents, or a couple of these ATF agents who were like on their lunch break or doing a cigarette break or eating donuts, I don't know, um, whatever they were doing, uh, they spot uh, Mr. Ransom, you know, heading home from his church function, basically, and like immediately run him down. Like, and Ransom says the first he knows of it isn't them yelling, you know, stop, we're federal officers. It's like he turns around and there are like three men standing, pointing pistols at him. 
So they wrestle him to the ground and detain him. I mean, it was just, it was just crazy. So anyway, I wrote an essay about this because it enraged me so much. I actually came and ranted on the end of the show that day, but it only, it, it didn't go out in the podcast. It just went out kind of to people that were listening to the rerun. So I'm going to read this, this short essay that I've written about this whole thing. And if you listen to our Waco interviews in the past two weeks, you'll know kind of what I'm talking about. It was inspired, this yeah, essay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, because we have been, we have talked for two weeks about the ATF and, well, you'll, you'll talk about and it. And about Waco, ahead. absolutely. Yeah. So this is called April with the ATF. I consider myself a child of the 1990s. For me and many others of my generation, the month of April has developed a rather negative connotation. From Columbine to Oklahoma City to Waco to the L.A. riots, nearly all of the horrible events of the 1990s happened in April. As I progressed through my adolescence, I watched all of these calamities unfold on television. In recent years, especially in April, I have become increasingly aware of the significance of these uh, events and how much America didn't learn from them. It's funny how there is always a reminder of the past decade's unpleasantness at this time of the year. For this April, the reminder is what history will probably come to know as the Ninja Incident. Earlier this week, a UGA student attended a costume party at a local campus ministry. This school-sanctioned events theme was Pirates vs. Ninjas. Well, it turns out that the Wesleyans weren't the only privateers operating on campus that day. At the Georgia Center, ATF agents were training local law enforcement officers how to locate and confiscate illegal, illegal firearms. The UGA student I spoke of, Jeremiah Ransom, left the party dressed in his ninja costume and started jogging back to his dorm. I'm sure you all know what happened next. The ATF agents spotted him, ran him down, drew their pistols on him, and wrestled him to the ground. The picture of the ATF agent with his knee resting on Mr. Ransom's neck tells the whole story. Luckily, a... Um, student uh, with a camera phone caught a picture of this. I mean, uh, young Jeremiah is obviously unarmed. They've already got him on the ground, and the ATF agent is sitting. I mean, he's got, I mean, his hands are tied behind his back, and the ATF agent is sitting there with his knee full force on his neck, just leaning right down on him. And though he wasn't seriously injured, which I'll get to in a minute, I mean, you can still see how bad this was. If you want to see this picture, you can go to the red and black site, www.redandblack.com, and just search within their site the word ninja and find the earliest article about the ninja incident. And you'll see the picture I'm talking about. It's kind of inflammatory. I mean, it's not, you know, Rodney King getting hit with a nightstick or anything, but it's... Yeah, but this guy wasn't on PCP either. Right, He's a exactly. Methodist, exactly. He's just a Methodist, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, let's see, where was I? This student was unarmed and had committed no crime, yet he was still assaulted by federal agents. In their eyes, he was guilty until proven innocent. When I read this bizarre news story, my mind immediately jumped back to those events in the 1990s, especially that infamous raid at Waco and the standoff at Ruby Ridge, Idaho. In some small way, this ninja incident teaches us those same lessons we missed a decade ago. Lesson 1. The ATF has a skewed sense of jurisdiction. Take a look at the warrant from the Waco raid. It talks more about child abuse and meth labs than it does about illegal firearms. The ATF had no right to serve a warrant on child abuse, a state offense, or drug uh, manufacturing. There was basically no evidence of drug use, but the ATF made these allegations in their warrant so they could train for their military-style raid at a local army base. As a side note, using military resources in civilian law enforcement has been illegal since the end of Reconstruction. What happened to Mr. Ransom is the same thing written on a smaller scale. Those agents should have called the UGA police instead of running down an innocent man and abusing him. What was he guilty of? 
It's not illegal to wear a mask in public. If it were, you'd have to outlaw Halloween and Mardi Gras. The behavior of the agents was indicative of the fact that the ATF thinks it has a right to enforce state law whenever and wherever its agents happen to be. This is not what we pay them for. Lesson two, the ATF is obsessed with the use of force. The raid that followed that bogus warrant left 10 people in their graves and 20 or so others with serious wounds, all in the name of confiscating four illegal machine guns. Instead of arresting cult leader David Koresh when he was away from Mount Carmel, they rolled out the snipers, the helicopters, and dozens of agents armed with machine guns and flashbang grenades. They came in with guns ablazing, and it's no wonder it ended up being the largest firefight in the history of American law enforcement. A year before, Koresh had offered to let the ATF come in and inspect his weapons. Instead of taking him up on this offer, they raided the home of nearly 100 people, with over 30 children in it, in the manner of an invading army. What happened that day was at the same time shameful and yet predictable. In Mr. Ransom's case, just like with Waco, the ATF met a shaky suspicion with overwhelming force. The fight first, think later mentality seems to rule all of their actions. Even a cursory look at the video of that raid will show you multiple occasions when agents misfire their weapons. It's a good thing that didn't happen when they drew down on a UGA student for no good reason. Mr. Ransom was not seriously injured in his encounter with the agents, but he was certainly assaulted without just cause, and I sincerely hope he sues them. At least he has some evidence on his side. Fire can't consume that picture in the way it consumed the bullet holes in the roof and the door of the Mount Carmel Center that proved ATF agents fired on unseen targets, a highly illegal act. In conclusion, Thomas Jefferson said that the uh, force is the vital principle and immediate parent of despotism. What happened to Mr. Ransom in its own small way illustrates that America has not learned the lessons of so many previous Aprils. Until we do, or when we do, maybe we'll learn to stand up to the ATF and other federal agencies and tell them that if they aren't going to respect our Constitution and do the job our tax dollars pay them to do, then they should stay out of our communities. How do we stand up? Not by joining a militia or kicking off the revolution, but by electing local judges and law enforcement leaders who are committed to keeping federal agents who are not elected by anyone from bullying innocent people. We need people who can say to the ATF, if you can't behave yourselves, don't come to Athens. Until that time comes, I fear that future Aprils will only prove the truth of T.S. Eliot's poetry. Here, here, man. You know, if Raymond let me use the, our applause sound effect, I would play it right now. Don't do it. <laughs> no canned in applause. I'm glad your arms hurt, else you'd punch me if I did. <laughs> right. Out there is filmed before a live studio audience. <laughs> right. Whee! So, anyway, yeah. So, I, I know that kind of went on for a while for a radio show. But no, I, I kind of wanted to make the point about that, you know, because we talk about kind of like these far-off events and conspiracy theories and all this, like, kind of bad stuff. And, you know, you can sit there in your home and listen to our show or any number of these other shows that are on Omnisound or any other network. And, you know, you kind of pick up that there are bad things going on in the world. But it's not until, like, something happens right kind of on your doorstep. Yeah. I mean, this was on the, I mean, this was right in front of the, like, dining halls here on campus yeah. that this happened. Yeah, you might think, like, oh, who cares what the ATF did to a bunch of cult members 13 years ago? We're talking about, like, a 19-year-old Methodist on a university campus in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Georgia. Right, and, you know, like I said, it may not be, you know, it may not be, like, like I said, like the Rodney King thing or anything, but it's, like I said, indicative of their mentality and the way they're going to behave. You know, and what's the ATF agent quoted as saying in the, uh, in the article? He says uh, something to the effect of, 
uh, a person walking down the street wearing a mask or wearing something over their face, that's just not right from a federal standpoint. So they've never seen, like, Muslim women? Yeah, or what do they exactly. do? Every Muslim woman they see walking around, like, they run them down, point guns at them, knees on the neck, and, like... You know, freeze! Right. We know you have a weapon, or whatever they do. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> you better not let the ATF out on Halloween. You might as well just right. give them all the night <laughs> off, you know. Yeah. So, so anyway, let's... Uh, yeah, if you want to talk to... Uh, well, if you want to talk to our producer, 1-800-960-2289, yeah, or locally... Be, What's the local number? 706-542-8476. Yeah, Stephen can relay any information right here into the booth. So if you've read about this ninja, ninja incident and you think like us that it's no joking matter. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the great thing, Raymond, is that it, it has become a big joke on campus, which is kind of cool because I saw, I saw like, a, there's a sign outside of Memorial Hall here where we do our show. It says, like, no ninjas and big chalk along a board. And, like, everyone, you know, there's... School newspaper, people writing in, you know, saying, oh, thank God the ATF got rid of the ninja threat on campus, you know, that right. kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, but, like, sort of the underlying actions of these federal agents right. is revolting. Uh, yeah, you know? I was about to say, you know, I mean, you'd expect, I mean, you wouldn't expect to hear this from us, you know, you'd expect to hear this on, like, an Alex Jones movie or something <laughs> like that. Right. But, you know, it, it does happen. It's happening right here. And, you know, like, three weeks before that here in Athens, they were having martial law training. They were, yeah. like, marching uniformed troops right down the street in the middle of town. I just want to say, people of the world, relax. Seriously. You know? <laughs> Seriously. That's yeah. a Tom Robbins quote, by the way. Sort okay. of. This is from his book, um, uh, Fierce Invalids Home from Hot Climates. Good book. Go read it. Okay. Yeah, just saying. Got to throw that Gotta out throw there. It. It's a great book, man. So we are about halfway through the show. Stephen, could you kick us like into a break here in a minute? Just okay, play cool. a random song. Yeah, yeah. Or... We'll, we'll talk for another minute. Anyway, um, yeah, like we said earlier, big shout out to Robin Valley. And big shout out if you're picking up the feed in India. You know, we've been hearing for the past <laughs> right. couple of weeks that we've been having some Indian listeners. And, you know, we want you to write us. We want you to send us an instant message or something. Let us know that out there is reaching out all the way to the other side of the world. Let's give out our information again real quick. Yeah. Well, Stephen, are you ready to kick us over for a second? Let me, hold on. So if you want to send us an email, out there radio, all one word, at gmail.com. We're also on instant message, out there radio is a screen name. That's AOL instant message. Mm-hmm. And what else? Website. Website, www.wuog.org slash out there. Yeah, check out the forums. We've already got a forum topic up about Tesla's for tonight, don't we? We'll, uh, we'll put it up during yeah, the break. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> Raymond will put that up during the break. Yeah, we'll put up a new thread <laughs> during the break. But, uh, yeah, so check out all that stuff. Like, it's, uh, you know, check out our website while you're on. Like, all the contact information we just gave you is on there if you forget or whatever. And feel free to give us a call. So That's 1-800-960-2289. All right. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you guys in just a few minutes after the break here on Out There Radio. We'll be right back. You're listening to Out There with Raymond and Joe. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back here on Out There Radio, uh, WOG's weekly show about the occult, conspiracy theories, the paranormal, and, well, just how strange the world is. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. It is a pretty strange world, man. Yeah, it is. and it is. I like it, though. Yeah, and, okay. I wouldn't have it any other way. And, you know, that's a cliche that I'll, I won't make fun of you for. 
<laughs> I'm just full of. Of, of course, that's Kyle Zelinsky's cliche. Not well. It's yeah. a strange world. Yeah, yeah. We we man, we have a few like all star fans. I want to. Uh, we've talked about them in previous episodes, but I don't know if we've talked about them so much since we uh, since we got on Omnisound. Kyle, we, Kyle ben. and Ben especially have helped us with our website and with our promotional materials, and we couldn't thank them more. So we're yeah, hope- you guys are awesome. Yeah. So we know they're out there listening. Tonight. And all the people at Omnisound and all the other shows. And yeah, all yeah, that yeah, stuff. yeah. So enough of this. Uh, Thanks, Laura, for for bringing us on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking uh, to Jeff yeah, about us. Yeah, I was about to say Full Moon Radio. Uh, Laura at Full Moon Radio is really nice, and she kind of discovered us. So. Thanks, Laura. Anyway, so you know we're, we're kind of looking over here at the chat, waiting for her to respond. But it's going to be about it's going to be about three minutes because there's a delay. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. So if we pause in three minutes, it's because we're like oh, we're probably thanks, going. Laura. Oh, Laura, is so yeah. nice. Yeah. Anyway, but let's go on to Nikola Tesla, man. Yeah. His life and his work is so big. Like I, I hate it that we've only got 25, 30 minutes to spend all, on him. All of this equipment in front of us that right now is not working. But if it were. It's well. It's here because of Nikola Tesla. Yes, it all runs off of principles that he pioneered. Yeah, and the fact that you are listening to a radio broadcast right now, in fact. Yeah. I mean, all that. It all basically comes directly from Tesla. So, why? You might ask, though, why? Why are we going to talk about some scientist that you can listen to a show about on the Discovery Channel or whatever? What's so out there about that? What's so strange about that? Oh, oh, oh yeah. you haven't got there yet. Right. You know. Uh, Death rays, wireless transmission of large amounts of electrical power, free energy, yes. weather control, yes, it's it, alien it all, transmissions. Yes, it all comes out in Tesla's work. He is the quintessential uh, mad scientist figure of the 20th century, which stinks because he's really the foremost inventor of the he's, 20th century. He, well, he, he's like a, one of those rare scientific visionary geniuses right. who was so brilliant that he was hated by one of our, you know, our country's sons, Thomas Edison. Right, <laughs> right. right. Who's one of real, our boys. <laughs> who's a real jackass, if you don't mind me saying so. I can say that, yeah, right? Yeah, you can okay, say jackass. Yeah. It comes across as a real jackass in this whole story. We'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah. like, <laughs> so, Joe, tell me a little bit about uh, Tesla's upbringing just very quickly about yeah. his early years. Born in 1856. He's Serbian. Um, he... In 1881, went to Budapest, worked for a telegraph company. And f- as, as a child, he was always had these sort of um, visionary experiences where he would visualize some invention, like fully formed in his head, and then be able to just reproduce it and make it in reality. And that was how he was throughout his whole life. He's one, Like I said, he's one of those visionary geniuses who can see stuff, you know, Complete visualization. Yeah, complete visualization. Perfect pictures. So much so that sometimes he would mistake his visions of these machines that he ended up inventing for, like, reality. And that's how his childhood was. It was always like that. Right, and he always had this childhood dream of harnessing the power of Niagara Falls. Yeah. So keep that in mind for later because it it becomes a real big part of the story. Yeah, so in Budapest he worked for a telegraph company and worked on... um, telegraph stuff you know telephone exchanges and he basically you know was an electrical engineer in europe and then moved to the united states in 1884 right all he had he said i think it's what i was reading or watching said he had like four cents in his pocket and one letter of recommendation yeah the the letter of recommendation was written by uh charles bachelor who was his manager in a previous job and it was a letter of recommendation to thomas edison and it said this 
I know two great men and you are one of them. The other is this young man. So Edison hired Tesla on the spot. Right. And immediately put him to work um, on different Edison company projects, uh, redesigning and refurbishing uh, patents that were already in, in use. Uh, his main... Um, Tesla's main project working with Edison was revamping the patents and redesigning a lot of his direct current energy systems, which back in the late 1800s, that was sort of the first electrical power systems that were coming out with these like direct current systems that could only transmit power, say, two miles from a power station and were actually very dirty by comparison to the power that we have now. Yeah. But, uh, Tesla, uh, Edison offered Tesla like $50,000 to revamp all of this stuff. And so Tesla over the next year was working, you know, his fingers to the bone for Edison, trying to revamp his whole direct current system. And, you know, Tesla during that period, he's like 27 or 28 years old, comes up with all these patents that um, end up making a whole bunch of money for Edison's company. And so Tesla goes into Edison's office after a year it was like, okay, I've done all this stuff for you. You had said uh, $50,000, right? And what Edison say? Uh, well, go ahead and read the quote, Jay. <laughs> Tesla, you don't understand our American humor. And at that moment, Tesla... Well, not <laughs> at first. He's basically, Edison says this and then says, I'll give you a $10 a week raise. <laughs> and, and, Ed, and Tesla quits on the spot and walks right, out of the like, office. He's like, I'm done. Right. So, you know, he... He spent the next few years working on some of the most, I mean, explosive scientific discoveries and inventions that have since come down the line. Sometimes quite literally. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And he always had a hard time finding money and backing until he got hooked up with uh, George Westinghouse. So of mm -hmm. course, you know, famous Westinghouse. Westinghouse is still around. In fact, they produce a lot of the arms for the U.S. military, for example. Right, right. right. So uh, Westinghouse worked directly with Tesla and uh, during this period, I don't know if it was for Westinghouse or if it was just sort of kind of apart from the whole thing, he developed his alternating current uh, electrical motor mm -hmm. and also perfected the idea of the idea of alternating current, which can be transmitted over much longer distances and uh, reduces friction, can create... I mean, it was the first brushless motor, basically. I mean, this was a giant, giant, giant leap forward in electrical theory and electrical engineering. I mean, it's what's made everything since then possible. Edison did not like this. Tell Joe, tell them a little bit about what Edison, how Edison reacted to this competing power system that Tesla proposed. Well, Edison, I mean, he yeah, he saw Tesla as... I mean, think about it. Here's, you know, someone who he thought may have been his protege. Like, Tesla worked for him for a year, and then uh, Edison basically screwed him over, you know, out of $50,000, which, right. you know, and that was the early, that was turn of the century, people. I That's mean, a lot. Most people only made, what, $500 a year? If, That's about the you average. Know, something like that. I mean, and so Edison saw Tesla as this big threat, and he had this sort of, you know, this big competing paradigm, whereas Tesla, uh, Edison's working in direct current and was trying to promote direct current for all uh, the electricity needs in the United States, and Tesla's come up with this, you know, very efficient and affordable um, alternating current model of, you know, electrical ener energy, and and so Edison goes off on this big, like, campaign against Tesla. Like a public publicity campaign. Yeah, like, yeah. Edison would do stuff. Man, you can't get away with this kind of stuff today. But Edison would do stuff like call all the newspapers over to his Menlo Park, you know, office. 
and say and and he would hook animals up to alternating current electricity and say alternating current is dangerous watch me kill this dog with it you know (laughs) (laughs) and actually ended up like some of edison's um associates ended up inventing the electric chair that, you know that's <laughs> based on alternating current based on alternating <laughs> current and edison's you know like public disparagement of it so so but in the end edison did not well as you can see when you plug in anything or whatever edison did not win out uh, a power station every two miles just did not fly and when um when tesla finally fulfilled his dream of designing and creating a power hydroelectric power station at niagara falls using alternating current and then was able to send it down the line i guess about 20 miles to buffalo i mean that was it that was the coup de grace for direct current mm. basically but um you, it's hard to it's hard to not to wonder whether or not edison maybe tried to seek revenge on tesla isn't that right, Joe? We were yeah. talking about some kind of suspicious oh, well, stuff that happened sort of in that Yeah, I mean, period. not to say that Edison was to blame necessarily, but um, later on, like, Tesla's laboratory, you know, burned to the ground, and that was sort of a major turning point in his life. Before, Raymond, look, we've got, there's some good stuff we're about to get to, but before we, like, I'm going to talk a little bit about, like, what, what Tesla, like, developed. Right, yeah, you know I, mean? I mean, just the list is This insane. guy, I mean, he holds, like, se- held, like, 700 patents. I mean, that's a lot, you know? So some of the stuff that you might be familiar with, so rotating magnetic fields, uh, an induction motor and high-frequency alternator, alternating current log-distance electrical transmission systems, that was in 1888. Uh, Of course, the Tesla coil, a bladeless turbine, which um, was sort of a rival to, like, the Parsons motor, I guess, um, which we use now. But Tesla's model for a motor apparently was a lot more efficient. And could have over you know the last hundred years saved us a lot of energy, but they didn't. It didn't catch on for whatever reason. Um, he had systems for wireless communication. This is prior to the invention of radio. Robotics and the AND logic gate, which is used in your computer. X-ray tubes using the Bremsstrahlung process. So he was he was playing with X-ray stuff long before X-ray X-ray was even like right. In fact, you know, when the uh, first patented X-rays came out. Uh, I mean, right about the same time, the same year, or maybe even a year before that, Tesla was able to produce pictures through a similar technique of yeah. his bones, of his hands, and yeah. they, they look exactly like x-rays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. x-ray te- technology yeah. came out, and Tesla's like, I already have these pictures of my hand and my head that right. I did a few years back. So devices for ionized gases, devices for high-field emission, fluorescent tubes, like fluorescent right. tubes, yeah, uh, devices for charged particle beams. Methods for providing extremely low level of resistance to the passage of electrical current. Devices for high voltage discharge, lightning protection, uh, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Yeah, he had a full working design that the the U.S. military actually tried to work with in the early 50s. What it would do is it was kind of like a, it kind of took off like a helicopter and... uh, when it would it, when it would do its Harrier thing instead of the uh, instead of the engines like the engines on a Harrier they move well in this case the seat the pilot would sit in would pivot when you got up to the certain to a certain level and the plane turned so mm. it was sort of like the reverse Harrier in yeah, a way yeah so uh, uh um, come on there are some more simple ones that spark plugs yeah yeah come from Tesla, Tesla you know I mean so but the thing is like this guy you know he was. 
the, the equivalent in the public eye of Edison, more or less. I mean, just as famous as Edison. And really did better than Edison, yeah. But yeah, he you know died alone in a hotel room in 1943 at the age of 86. So what happened? That's well, the question. How do you go from the, the height of scientific sort of celebrity to fall into that? And, and that's really the interesting story, and we're, we're going to... We're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about some of the crazier stuff that Tesla got into later in his life. But first, let's talk about his greatest achievement. I think that's the Columbian Exposition in uh, 1892, I believe. It was celebrating the 400th anniversary of Columbus landing in the New World. Well, Westinghouse outbid Edison for the rights to light the whole convention with electrical power. I mean, this was a big deal. I think it was in Buffalo or Chicago. Chicago, excuse me. I mean, there were there were almost a million people that attended this thing, and the whole thing was lit with alternating current light bulbs designed by Westinghouse and Tesla. And that, I mean, I mean, that's the moment right there. And and you know, that's when his sort of fame really was introduced to the world. So how did he go from that to, you know, what happened to him since? Well, after the fire mm-hmm. of his laboratory, he dis- he shifted his work to wireless transmission of signals and power. Free energy free, was really what it came down free to. Free energy is what it came down to. We might as well just cut to the chase yeah. here. Now he he would propose to his investors that it was that his projects were more about transmission of data like a wireless telegraph or early radio. But what he was really interested in was the idea that you can send electrical energy from one point on the earth to another uh, over through the air invisibly safely with no or with relatively no loss of energy over the distance. We're not talking about like batteries. That's really the closest we come. We don't have this technology. Yeah, exactly. You know? But Tesla was able to do things like produce a current in the ground at a certain frequency or in the air at a certain frequency. And he could take light, like specially designed light bulbs and hold them in his hand with no power source or wires connected to them. And if they were in the same room with one of his Tesla coils, for example, they would light just off of the electric power that was in the air. Yeah. Basically, what wasn't didn't he do stuff where like uh, this might have been from his Colorado Springs lab where um you know he had built this this big coil and he would have like light bulbs that he would you know could touch to the ground you know not inside his laboratory but like outside right you know and they like would light within, up within hundreds of feet like a hundred yeah. like a hundred feet away yeah and yeah he could light stuff up so. I mean, that's amazing if you think about it. Yeah, it's totally amazing. The fact that you can just wirelessly power all sorts of electrical devices and... And it not be, and the air not in some way be filled with some sort of like deadly energy that's gonna yeah. like get you, you know. And remember, we're not talking about like a decade ago, two decades ago, fifty years ago. We're this talking- is like 1903, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> so and before. So what's so interesting about about this is that, I mean, he basically, alongside of this, developed a system for transmitting radio waves, basically. And though, I mean, you know, Marconi is, you know, you read about him in elementary school or whatever as being the inventor of radio. Well, actually, like, only a few years, or maybe the same year that um, Tesla died, the Supreme Court ruled that Marconi's did not have an exclusive patent on radio, that he was only using work that was based on other people's designs. And Tesla was named, yeah, Yeah. by the Supreme Court in the ruling. So, 
It's pretty amazing. So what happened? Well, uh, but also I mean, the thing is, it's not that the government wasn't interested. I mean, you could you can make an argument to say that you know, big power companies, uh, you know, during this sort of second industrial era, era, and then around the turn of the century when you know invention was just, you know, the human spirit had sort of decided to make ourselves a better world. And Tesla was a big part of that. And one of his ideas was free energy. But, you know, who was going to make money off that? Well, for the point is that it's free. People right. don't make money off of right. it, you know? So, what did Tesla do? He, well, probably went to the exact wrong person that he could have gone to if he wanted to spread free energy to the world. He goes to John Pierpont Morgan and says, Okay, Morgan, I need some money to help me perfect this radio system, this wireless communication system. Yes, what they used to call it, radio, at the, in the early days was wireless. And Morgan's like, great, I like the sound of this, I'll, I'll back you and fund you, you know, as much as I can. I think he gave him like $150,000 to build his lab. Okay, well this is after he's left his lab in Colorado. Let's talk about that lab in Colorado before we go on to the Long Island thing. Both of Tesla's big main labs that he did working on this wireless stuff consisted of a lab and this and these like giant like towers that were over 100 feet tall and they were actually Tesla coils, like electrical coils, much like a spark plug, except they were giant in size and they could produce a massive, massive voltage of energy, and we're able to do things like you know put enough energy into the ground to light a light bulb and not shock you. And they were, and he could fine tune them to transmit electrical power at a certain frequency, so you know you wouldn't hurt anybody in the process. Mm-hmm. So um, he created lightning one night at his with his biggest experiment. He was getting free free power from the local power plant. And he charged the, the coil up as far as it would go. And it created this like giant string of lightning that reached up into the air like two or three hundred feet and basically reached up into the ionosphere and pulled power down from the ionosphere, like harnessed lightning himself. Well the reason we know that he harnessed power that came from the atmosphere back into the ground is because there was feedback that destroyed the generators back at the power plant. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, a normal electrical system isn't going to send that much power back down the line. It had to come from some, like, outside source. So, it was a while before Tesla got any more power out of the local power plant (laughs) in Colorado. You know, he had to, like, go, he had to, like, personally go in and send his team in to fix their generators. So, he, but he took this research that he did, and he, and he, he knew that that moment was a breakthrough. And that's when he went to Morgan and said, okay, I want to build a bigger lab. And he built a much bigger lab in, I think, Long Island. Right, the Wardenclyffe Tower. Yeah. Right, and this Wardenclyffe Tower has, has since become pretty famous. And it was an even bigger coil that could harness even more energy. And he was trying to perfect a way, like we said, to at the same time transmit radio signals and energy over a great distance. Mm-hmm. Basically, his, fun, his funding ran out. And Morgan wasn't likely to give him more money. And he, he, ba- he was able to get the tower online and to get it working, but he wasn't able to do all the things that he wanted to with it. And so in a final act of desperation, he goes and tells Morgan, hey, you know, this is about more than just transmitting data. This is about more than just beating Marconi to the radio patent. I've got a system here that can give out free electrical energy to anyone on Earth over any distance. And, you know, Morgan, of course, came back to him and said, you know, is there a quote from Morgan here that we mined out? Uh, Morgan says something to the effect of, free energy that that won't work there's right. no meter you know right and he's looking because he's looking to make money of course so that was the end of 
of Morgan's funding. Yeah. So interesting corollary here, and here's our first strange occurrence. So the, the final days or the final weeks of uh, the Wardenclyffe facility being online, co- like cor- like when his money is running out, but the tower is online, correspond exactly to the time that the Tagusta blast happened in Siberia, Russia. I think in. I think it's like 1904, 1903. Like that, yeah. yeah, you may have heard of this called the Siberian Fireball. You probably saw the unsolved mysteries on it back yeah. in the 80s or Still whatever. Still unexplained. Still unexplained. Giant blast happens in the middle of Siberia. It's not a nuclear blast, but it's something of similar, like, can, you know, explosive power. Yeah. But it's not nuclear because there's no radiation on the ground. And some people have purported. I mean, and, and some and the, the people I've seen talking about these interviews are like former weapons designers yeah. for the U.S. military. That some of these people think that that Tagusta blast or what, where I think it's Tagusta blast, mm-hmm. Siberian fireball was caused by Tesla using his tower to show like one last show. Hey, look. Here's another thing yeah. you can do with this tower. Because one of the things I, th- I thought that was really interesting, too, is he claimed to develop a particle beam weapon, or at least have some ideas yeah, for some. Yeah, called it a death ray. I mean, yeah. that's what they were calling it in the press. But this guy, I mean, this is brilliant what he did. He didn't release his, the, the whole schematic to any spe- specific government. He split it up into, like, four parts. And I think he gave, like, some of the schematic to, like, United States, Canada, Britain and Russia and the only way that they could put it all together this you know particle beam death ray was to work together to put it together I mean this I mean this sounds like something out of a book but this 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 stuff really happened it's yeah. really documented it happened so what what was Tesla design you, know, you think death ray you think like you know I've got a little phaser in my hand Star Trek style no, oh no. no what he was talking about were was an array of maybe five to ten towers strategically placed at different places on the US's borders that could basically shoot down any plane at a great, great distance of just, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it would be like having a Star Wars yeah. missile defense system in like 1902, right, basically. Right, right, right. And, I mean, that's what he proposed. Now, I don't think he ever got the thing off the ground, but if his theories were all correct, which scientists still argue about to this day, uh, it, may be, it may be possible that he actually did develop a working quote-unquote death ray. People have also claimed that it had a lot to do with uh, the, uh, the phenomenon known as ball lightning. Mm-hmm. And he was somehow able to harness electrical energy into a concentrated small space like ball lightning. Which brings us back to military applications of technology. Yes. And if, if we don't have enough time to talk about the HARP project, which is at University of Alaska. It's um, this array of like, um, what is it? low frequency it's like high frequency extremely low yeah oh, okay. extremely low frequency trans, like transmissions they're ostensibly studying like the aurora borealis or something right but many people believe it's just an extension of this tesla technology yeah it's sort of testing out defense i mean it's funded by darpa you yeah remember yeah. our um, robot insects from the beginning of the episode same same guys yeah and, but you go on the harp site and nobody's talking about yeah it. no in fact I, I was looking the harp site and I searched for DARPA within the site, and there's only one little tiny place where it talks about getting DARPA funding, which is a response to an email. And most of the responses are like, oh, you know, our project is totally open. You can come visit and all this stuff, and there's pictures and details online. But, like, they seem to be pretty quiet about who funds them. Right, right. For whatever reason. Which means that... We kind of were left wondering whether some of the stuff on the site wasn't disinformation. I don't know. And I mean, we don't know. Yeah. But 
go to go check out like the various stuff about harp h-a-a-r-p online and like make your own judgments about that but that's sort of like a side note to the whole tesla story because so, yeah. it's a very interesting so story. let's wrap up the tesla story yeah. and wrap up the episode with what happened to him after he died and if you if you listen to our show about william reich the the other mad scientist we've featured on yeah. out there then you know what happened to him after he died the government came in and burned all his books and seized all his stuff well, well same except they burned his books first Right. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. With Tesla, it w- wasn't a matter of suppressing his science because it was pseudoscience, but rather coming in and taking his notes and journals after he died, probably t- for their own use. Yeah, and they used it under the auspices that they were uh, collecting information, like that he was some kind of alien, he wasn't a citizen, and that he was <laughs> not like extraterrestrial, but like, right, right. you know, illegal alien or whatever, and that like they had a right to come in and seize it. He had been a naturalized, I mean, he died in 1943, I think. Mm-hmm. He had been a naturalized citizen for 50 years when the Bureau of Alien Affairs came in and like took all of his papers and all of his stuff out of his lab and all of his personal effects. And they held it for like 10 years before they gave it back to his family. A lot of that stuff is sitting in, I think, somewhere in Yugoslavia. I think Belgrade, I want to say, or somewhere like that. Some of it's lost, and some of it they don't lay claim to right. anymore. But uh, but some of it was classified. Some of it didn't go back to them. And yeah. J. Edgar Hoover was quoted as saying, you know, uh, this is the most top secret stuff there is. And so you can do research and find out all sorts of sort of clandestine accusations about different weapon systems that have come out yeah. in the Soviet Union and here in the past 50 years, and you'll find Tesla connected to it. So watch out for death rays. Watch out for weather control devices. Watch out for your zombie cyborg <laughs> insects. Watch out for the ATF. <laughs> right. It's, it, man, maybe it's a dangerous world would be a better uh, Well, dangerous or not, it's definitely strange. That's right. That's right. So and I'm still glad to be in it. I wish we could have sat here and talked to you guys about Tesla for 30 or 45 minutes more tonight, but we gotta make room for motion picture soundtrack, because they have so cool and they're coming on next here on WOG and uh, I think Hour of Slack's coming on next on Omnisound uh, so stay tuned for that praise Bob <laughs> praise Tesla for his alternating current and powering all of our systems here at the station that- Thomas Edison's a jackass yeah he is a jackass god <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much for listening to our show. This has been Out There. Send us an email, outthereradio at gmail.com. My name is Raymond Wiley. I'm Joe McFall. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.